Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to like the video and subscribe if you haven't already. And before we get into today's episode, I'd like to wish everyone a happy and healthy holiday season and a happy new year, which will be coming up in just a couple of days. And MVG, how was your holiday? Nate, my holiday was really good. I um, am currently on a bit of a break from youtube because there's really nothing going on right now let's be honest even though people are still um, making content which is good for them i just decided look it's time to just uh, unplug for a couple of weeks and and just recharge and and actually enjoy playing video games rather than you know making making it all about work and stuff so i've i've had a very very good break so far uh i kind of don't really want to go back to making videos, to be honest. I'm kind of <laughs> right in the middle of it right now. But of course, you know, 2022 is a, is a new year. There's going to be a lot of really interesting things to talk about. So, of course, I will be making content again. But I'm, I'm having a, a good good break, playing a lot of video games, getting caught up on the backlog, and just, you know, watching movies, watching Netflix, just generally unwinding and unplugging from from the the day-to-day stuff that I that I did in 2021 but um how about yourself uh how how has your holiday been so far it has been enjoyable like yourself i decided to unplug and you know just enjoy some of the slim, simpler things in life like you know pick up a book enjoy some literature watch some movies play a few video games but generally unplug recharge those batteries and Get ready for what 2022 is going to bring us in, you know, just a couple of days. As you mentioned, there's going to be a lot of news in 2022. We're going to have plenty of topics to discuss for the coming year, including predictions and so forth for the upcoming year from the companies. And, you know, that's why for this episode, we're going to do an overview, a review of sorts of what 2021 was for Sony, Microsoft and Nintendo. But before we get into today's topic... I have to remind everyone that this episode of Nate the Hate is brought to you by our favorite producers of ball trimmers, Manscaped. The global leaders in below-the-waist grooming are leaving 2021 with a new product. Clean yourself into the new year with their ultra-premium body wash. Also, special offer alert. Use the code Nate the Hate for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Four million men already trust Manscaped. Time to join them. And MVG, it's my understanding you have used this ultra premium body wash and other Manscaped products. Absolutely, Nate. Big fan of Manscaped. I've been using their products pretty much since the start, since we started talking about them. But let me tell you, for those people that aren't on board with Manscaped yet, 2022 is on the way. And the last thing that you want to do is be the guy with pubes getting in the way of making this year your best yet. 2021 sucked, and that's why Manscaped is making a splash and upping your grooming game. Their signature Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take down every pube in its path. Manscaped Engineering, the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology, and it's even waterproof. This tool is amazing, and I'm confident using the Lawnmower 4.0 to leave 2021 
and my gross pubes with it. You know what else I'm confident about, Nate? You may be asking how, and I'm happy you did. I'm using Manscaped's refined cologne with the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, and it's a great compliment for your collection. So, Nate, why don't you once again tell the fine listeners all about the discount they were offering for Manscaped customers? Yes, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code NATHEHATE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code NATHEHATE. That's one word, NATHEHATE. Happy New Year to your balls. And the first topic for this episode is going to be about Sony and the PlayStation 5 in 2021. As we know, this was the PlayStation 5's first calendar year. And with it came a lot of hype, anticipation, but also a handful of false promises from Sony themselves. But in many areas, I would say Sony succeeded in what they wanted to do with the PlayStation 5. And that is garner a lot of excitement and really strong hardware sales, which we have seen in each month NPD report. But at the same time, Sony has had its share of failures. And we're going to go over the strengths and weaknesses that Sony had in the calendar year of 2021. And we will also go into Microsoft and Nintendo's calendar year failures and successes. But what I want to start with with Sony and the PlayStation 5 is their stronger aspects of the year. And one of their strongest elements of 2021 would be their acquisitions. This is a company that came out of the gate and made a big move following the release of Returnal, when they announced that they had acquired Housemark, And that wasn't the only acquisition they made throughout the year. They also went on to purchase studios that would help them with their PC ports. And another smaller studio, which I believe the name is Fire Split? I think it's Fire Sprite. Fire Sprite, that's it. And they had actually originally kind of been part of Sony Liverpool. And then they went on their own thing. And for Sony to acquire them means they have big plans for them as you know in their future planning. But of these acquisitions, I would definitely say Housemark is likely the biggest of Sony's acquisitions. And it seems as though Sony is beginning to lay that foundation of where they want to take the company moving forward. We've seen them do acquisitions in the past. They bought companies like Insomniac and I mean, look how well that's worked out for them. Ratchet and Clank is one of their major IPs at this point. They have studios like Sucker Punch and titles like Ghost of Tsushima. And while none of these studios have that caliber yet, you can see that Sony is definitely looking to the future where they want to build up these companies so they can become the next gorilla or maybe the insomniac for Sony internal. And it's fascinating to see Sony make these moves Because for years, decades even, we've seen them make these mascot IPs with Ratchet & Clank, Jack & Daxter, Sly Cooper, kind of as a response to uh, Nintendo's mascots of Link, Mm -hmm. Mario. And it finally feels as though Sony has that foundation laid where they are creating iconic characters for their brand. It's no longer just Kratos and Ratchet. Now you have joel you have ellie from the last of us you have the main character from ghost of tsushima you have cole from infamous 
And Sony is building up their brand to have these iconic games and characters. And it felt as though these acquisitions for this year is just another step in Sony really trying to solidify and grow their brand beyond just the box of PlayStation, but also into numerous other realms of entertainment, like we've seen with The Last of Us going to HBO. Mm-hmm. And we've seen them branch into more movie type deals. And it's really fascinating to see how Sony is using these acquisitions to make their brand more worldwide. Yeah, I think I think you summed it up really well. You know, they they had um you know, it was an interesting year for them. Like it was obviously the first year, the launch year of the new hardware. And, you know, for all, all intents and purposes, I think it went it went fine for them. Where they lacked in in games, especially in the second half of the year, I think the first half of the year was was very well stacked and and I think, you know, for the most part it was pretty good, really. The second half, obviously, it did slow up, but where they kind of lacked in in kind of bringing that killer blow at the end of the year with, with something, they made up with acquisitions all throughout the year. And I think, you know, they're, they're setting themselves up for the future of PlayStation 5 and beyond. You know, the other, the other acquisition that you didn't mention was Bluepoint. I mean, I think that's another high caliber pickup we knew that was going to happen i mean it was it was heavily rumored as soon as demon souls you know dropped on on the ps5 everyone was saying sony's going to acquire bluepoint and it almost took a year but they they got there eventually so you know you just you just wonder you know what what you know what we'll see from sony the sony camp in the next few years but i think it's it's going to be um a lot better, I think. You know, I think next year is going to be a big year for Sony. We know that they've got some big games on the roadmap that they're going to show us. And, you know, these acquisitions are really setting themselves up for the future of, of the company uh-huh. and, and the brand. So yeah, look, you know, if you're not if you're not making games and you're not shipping games, then you know, the next best thing you can do is acquire studios that will help you get there. And you know, not it's not just not not just Sony that did that. Obviously, Microsoft has as well. And we'll we'll talk about them later on. But look, overall, I think they had a a you know a pretty decent year. It was not all it was not all gold. You know, not everything was a hit for them. They certainly missed the mark in some areas. But overall, you know, it, it was a pretty decent kind of first year for PS Five and 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 the brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like acquisitions are definitely something that I would say the base community may not feel that excitement or understand why it is a big deal. But from a business standpoint, acquiring companies like Housemark or Bluepoint, it's a major win for Sony as a developer and a publishing house. And we as the fans and the consumer will eventually be able to consume those fruits. It's going to take years because the tree was just planted. But when we get the fruits of their labor in the next several years, that's when we finally feel rewarded for that acquisition. And Bluepoint, as you mentioned, we got Demon Souls at launch. Yep. But up to this point, Bluepoint has really been that art restoration studio. Yes. They have not created anything of their own. And what's curious is how they said their next project is going to be an in-house original IP. So we're finally going to see how talented the studio truly is when it comes time to create their own 
property. And that's something that I, as a fan of the company and also of the PlayStation, am curious about. I want to see what Bluepoint can do on their own. We know their skill at remaking and remastering the work of other creators. But if they can step forward and show that they have the chops to produce high quality original content, that acquisition by Sony is only going to shine brighter moving into the future because they could potentially make this another pillar of their North American development studio. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely right. Look, I think Bluepoint is the most interesting one out of out of the acquisitions this year. Obviously, Housemark do quality work and they always mm-hmm. will, will will deliver something really great, but like you said, I think the biggest unknown quantity is Bluepoint and what they've got because yes, I mean, if you're a I don't, I don't want to say a port studio, but I mean that's effectively what what Bluepoint has been for such a long time. You know, they didn't need those roles, the you know the the writers and and the the narrative um, people you know involved in in the games um, because they were just kind of making making ports, right? But now you know they're making games from scratch, so they've obviously brought in a lot of new talent to the studio to help them get there. So. It's 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 a risk for them because I feel like you know they're they're getting into waters they they haven't really gotten into in the past, but I also think it's exciting and and you know if they're taking that step, uh, and Sony's obviously backing them to do that, then um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what what they have for us. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean they're definitely that studio that you want to look at and see what that growth can bring about. And as you mentioned with Housemark, they were already an established developer. We know the quality of releases they can put out. And when you look at a title like Returnal, they can now expand that type of premise because they're going to have that financing from Sony by being part of that corporate umbrella. Though they were contracted and given exclusive clauses with Sony in the past, now they have their full commitment. So titles from Housemark can only grow and evolve from here. And that's exciting because the gameplay they put out in their titles has always been elite. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, for me, I think I think Returnal is that game that's just continuing to age like fine wine. You know, it's one of those games mm-hmm. where it's it just keeps it keeps getting better. And look, I think it's going to be kind of the bloodborne of the PS5 generation, the way it's turning out, you know, it's going to be so beloved, you know, it, it already is. Right. But I mean, a couple of years from now, people are going to really think fondly of that game and going to ask for sequels and, you know, all that stuff that comes <laughs> along with it. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the game and I'm glad, I'm glad, you know, they, they patched the game to the vision that it should have been in the first place. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's, it's an excellent game and it deserves its success. That's a good segue into the software topic that we'll go into for 2021 with Sony and Returnal was definitely their first big release of 2021 in terms of PlayStation five exclusives, because yes, you had destruction derby all-stars that came out in, I believe it was February and went to PlayStation plus yep. and pretty much died on the vine almost immediately. The fruit withered and fell. And it was quickly forgotten. Everyone was looking forward to MLB The Show or Returnal. They wanted that true SSD showcase. They wanted to see what the PlayStation 5 could truly deliver. And Returnal was that first game to do it. And as you mentioned, it has garnered a lot of love over the months. When it launched, especially in a dubious state that it was, where it was crashing, you couldn't 
save the game. You couldn't shut off your PlayStation 5. You went, you entered rest mode, you turned it on, the system crashed, you lost all your progress. It launched in a very rough state. They have addressed all of these flaws now, and people are finally really able to immerse and enjoy the game the way it was intended. And the gameplay is exquisite. The gameplay loop is probably Housemark's best effort. It's absolutely thrilling. Mm-hmm. An absolute joy to play. After Returnal, we went to Ratchet and Clank. This was a game that Sony had originally promised to be in the launch window. It did face a slight delay. And when it finally came to market, it was definitely hyped. This was a game people were looking forward to. They wanted to see the Rift mechanic, this concept that Sony had promised would really utilize and take advantage of the SSD and its blazing fast. You know, and as good as the game is, and it is a very fun game, I don't believe it fulfilled the promise to demonstrate what an SSD can do for game design. A lot of the tricks used by the game, these were tricks that were already done on a standard hard drive. And that's definitely an area where the game I kind of look back at and say, do I feel misled? Yes. Did it ultimately ruin my enjoyment or my time with the game? No, but I wish the Rift mechanic was truly that revolutionary SSD defining moment for game design that it appeared that Sony and Insomniac were marketing. Yeah, I agree. Look, at the end of the day, it's a Ratchet and Clank game and all of them are excellent. So there's really, there's nothing wrong with Ratchet and Clank. I think it's a fantastic game. One of the highlights of the year, without question. But yeah, I mean, the technical side was marketed. It was, it was mar- genius marketing. Let's be honest. They, they really, they really kind of honed in that, that riff mechanic kind of SSD thing that it was not. I mean, they never said it wasn't possible on anything before the PS5. All they said was, this is what the PS5 can do and they and they they marketed it perfectly. And what's interesting is, you know, when you kind of get as technical as that, it's very easy to lose people or or, or for people just to say, "Ah, oh, this I don't even know what they're talking about. This doesn't make any sense." But they they really um showcased, you know, the power of the hardware. You know, even though at the end of the day it wasn't really anything special from you know, that's it's only uniquely available on the PS5. As we realized as soon as we started playing the game that, no, I mean, this this has been done before. In fact, I think about Jack and Daxter, you know, like the first one, you know, there's, there's games that have come out like during the PS2 Xbox GameCube era where, you know, the entire game would would just stream in. There was no loading. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not really anything anything kind of groundbreaking, but... For some reason, you know, um, Sony really did some good homework on on that as a marketing <laughs> feature, and it worked, and you have to give them kudos for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And see, after Ratchet & Clank, Sony really didn't have another major exclusive release for the PlayStation 5. They went back to some of the PlayStation 4 releases where they gave definitive editions of Death Stranding, we got the definitive or director's cut of Ghost of Tsushima with a expansion, which they're fine releases. They simply were not exclusive to the PlayStation 5. They were still PS4 cross-gen games. So I would say kind of in the calendar year of 2021, we still 
aren't fully aware of what the PlayStation 5 hardware can do. And this was really exemplified when Sony came out numerous times over the course of 2021 to announce software delays. Earlier in the early in the year, they announced that Gran Turismo 7 would not make the intended 2021 release date. They got that out of the way very early. A lot of people had doubts the title would make 2021 to begin with. Then the year kept ticking. And we find out that Horizon Forbidden West isn't going to make 2021. That will find itself releasing in early 2022. Some felt misled with that title because they waited and waited to announce that delay. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely from a marketing point of how long do we want? How much uncertainty is there from the developer's end of when they can get the game done, when it will go gold? And, you know, as the consumer, you're going out there buying the PS5 to play a game like that at its best, only to find out it's been delayed into early 2022. Is it a huge delay in the grand scheme of things? No. But I can see as a consumer, you may feel as though you were misled on what was coming out in 2021. But the biggest would have been God of War Ragnarok. Yep. This is a title that never had a chance of coming out in 2021. No, no chance. Why Sony opted to even put that year at the end of the trailer last year where they showed nothing. They showed a logo and said 2021 is definitely a bit of marketing trickery they wanted people to believe this huge sequel was going to come out in 2021 for the playstation 5 get people really excited about the promise of what the playstation 5 could bring gaming and then wait until mid-year or the second half of the year and say uh, it's actually coming out next year and we can't give you an exact release date mm-hmm. yes we know there's been numerous circumstances surrounding covid and game development we just had square enix come out just this week to announce that Final Fantasy 16 is going to come out more than half a year later than originally intended due to the complications that COVID had presented. And this definitely was the case with Ratchet and Clank, Gran Turismo, Horizon, God of War Ragnarok, and numerous delays that plagued the industry. But it was definitely one of Sony's weaker points in 2021 is that in 2020, they promised this robust software lineup of PlayStation 5 exclusives up to that point with some of these titles only for 2021 to come and they announced numerous software delays and also that some of these titles are going to be cross-gen release. Now, I don't have a problem with cross-generation releases. I think it's good that titles like Horizon can be played on a PlayStation 4 because there are hundreds of millions of PlayStation 4s out there. The PlayStation 5 continues to be scarce in allotment in all regions so it's good that people will be able to play this high release high profile game but at the same time i can see why the consumer and the fan could feel a bit frustrated that titles like gran turismo were not announced as cross-gen releases when they were presented to fans last year and only to find out that the title has been delayed and now it is a cross-gen release you can't help but feel a little deflated if that's a title that made you anxiously search out a PlayStation 5 last holiday or even in the first half of 2021. Yeah, look, you've nailed it. Like, they kind of really dropped the ball with some of the the communication 
um, with both on on games that we knew were never going to come out and then pivoting to to say that, oh, by the way, they're coming out on the PlayStation 4 as cross-gen games. And I, like you, I don't have a problem with cross-gen games. Um, in fact, you know, I think Horizon and and uh, God of War, you know, I've, I'm, I've said this numerous times, I'm almost positive that those games started development on PlayStation 4 hardware anyway. So they were always going to be cross-gen games that have been in development for a while. But yeah, I mean, look, they really need to do a better job and hopefully they will, right? I, I'd like to think that these these missteps that they've made are truly something that are in the rearview mirror for them and, and moving forward, they will um, communicate with more transparency and and be as real as possible about you know the the coming dates of things. Look, even if you even if you just stick a year on something and say twenty twenty three, that that's that's good enough. You know, that's good enough for most people to to say, okay, well, this game is is not coming out um, next year or whatever. Um, so I think I'll, at the end of the day, they did mess that up, and you know there was a lot of unhappy people about it from what i remember and i guess the other thing that sony needs to do a better job on is communication of um price increases when there is a playstation 5 version that gets announced um there was the um the thing about uh, horizon forbidden west with the $10 upgrade charge if you recall Nate and then they um pivoted back to making a free upgrade, but it seems like every game that gets a PS5 upgrade has its own um, pricing structure almost. It's not a across-the-board $10 upcharge. Sometimes it is, mm-hmm. but sometimes it isn't, and I think they need to do a better job with that as well. And we we, we saw that with Final Fantasy VII Remake Retro retro what's it retrograde and yeah, integrate yeah. whatever it's called and then um <laughs> just recently with um what was the, the last thing that they're there oh the uh the uncharted um mm-hmm. double pack um also has an upgrade charge as well so you know stuff like that they really need to do better job on as well um i think i think the forbidden west kind of backlash was warranted and there were a lot of unhappy people about about that um i look at the uncharted one and it's almost the exact same thing as forbidden west but i guess the difference is uncharted has already come out and it's a much older game that that people don't really i don't want to say they don't care about but like it's not really as important to most people so I think Sony really needs to do a better job with, you know, the the price of upgrades around um their games and and don't don't just gate people into the PS5. I mean, look, if you don't want people to pay the $10, then you shouldn't shouldn't force them to do so and you are forcing them to do so because you're removing the existing versions off the PS4 store so they're not available anymore. So ultimately you have to find a physical copy of those games, which again, there's probably ways you can do that i'm not saying it's it's rare or anything but you're you know you really need to be more uh open with you know uh the pricing structure of these upgrades that you're doing as well i think that for me that and and the the communication around ps4 cross-gen games or the lack of communication i should say are probably the 
two biggest stumbles that Sony have had this year? Yeah, Sony's marketing definitely had its share of stumbles, which is kind of fascinating because their marketing is so masterful when it comes to selling hardware and even presenting software with their trailers. They get people excited. They get that hype. They see huge sales. And then they make a blunder with the pricing, as you mentioned. And they typically recover from it, or it's just a case of gamers have short memories. You're mad in the moment. Two weeks later, you kind of forget about it. The game comes out. You get mad again for a day. You say, eh, it's $10. I'm going to spend it. I'm going to buy it anyways because I want to play the best version of the game. And the cycle continues to repeat. And Sony and their marketers and their, and all their testers, they know this. They know this going into the, that the gamer is going to forgive and forget. And that's why we continue to see it utilized by so many companies. But with Horizon Forbidden West, it was definitely that case of we promised a free upgrade because at the time, Horizon Forbidden West was looking like a launch window game. It essentially got delayed a full year. And I think Sony wanted to try to pull a fast one on people saying, mm. maybe they won't remember that fine print or that blog post we put out a year ago because the game was delayed. So we're not obligated to any promises that we may have made at that time. People called them out rightfully so. They did the right thing. But it's definitely a case of, as the consumer, that is a case where you're reminded that these businesses are not your friend. They will exploit you whenever possible. And just because they walked back her Horizon Forbidden West does not mean they are going to walk back any other future planning. They're just going to find a new way to make you feel comfortable. And then they're going to introduce a new system in their pricing structure to find a means to exploit you. And as you mentioned, the Uncharted Dual Pack, that is a release that I will not give $10 for no. because the upgrades do not justify $10 to That's me. Exactly right. They don't, they don't. They don't justify the upgrade. No, those, like, even the way they worded it, they were kind of, they even made it sound underwhelming. Yeah. It's just the funniest thing. It's not like these aren't remasters. Yeah, I mean, and they're charging you basically ten dollars to say, "Hey, um, the 4K is better than it was on the PlayStation 4 Pro, and the frame right. rate's a little better." Um, that's ten bucks. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to downplay, it, and I definitely don't want to, you know, criticize the developers, right? But like to me, this sounds like they've unlocked the frame rate, they've mm-hmm. um, increased the resolution, they haven't you know, provided any new assets, any like high res textures or anything. And they've added, you know, haptic feedback uh, controls and the, you know, some dual sense Mm -hmm. features and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you are taking advantage of the PS5 power, but at the end of the day, if you've already played the game and you've experienced it and you've enjoyed it, it's not really worth the money in my opinion. No. And keep in mind that this dual release will not have the multiplayer of right. Uncharted 4 or Lost Legacy. So you're actually getting less content if you were to buy these as brand new games and not just getting Uncharted 4 or Lost Legacy used on the PlayStation 4 and popping in your PlayStation 5. Right. So, I mean, overall, I would view Sony's 2021 as a year of turmoil. Overall, they had strong hardware sales. Yeah. They did put out some quality software. They had their covid moments when it came to delays but as far as sony as a business 
I think they're very satisfied with what they saw from the PlayStation brand this year. And as we have seen in recent weeks with the reports going into 2022, Sony is looking to revamp PlayStation Plus by merging it with PlayStation Now and finally introducing some of the legacy software from legacy consoles, including the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, and PlayStation Portable. And that's something that fans are definitely looking forward to because they've wanted to play PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games on their PS5s for, you know, basically since launch. The big question is going to be pricing. Mm-hmm. By merging up PlayStation Now, is Sony going to come in at a competitive price point that is welcoming to the consumer? Or are we looking at a pricing structure that is more in line with Microsoft's Game Pass subscription model? We'll find that out in early 2022. But overall for 2021, I think Sony had the they had the best year they could considering all the circumstance. Yeah, I agree. I mean... You know, they had a pretty decent year. They also sold 10 million PS5s as well. So, look, overall, mm-hmm. you know, they could they could definitely um, go into next year with a lot of momentum and feeling pretty confident about the future. One thing I do want to touch on before we move off of Sony is that in 2021, we did see Sony's complete abandonment of Japan. Yes, they, that, you're right. That's an, that's an, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's... That's definitely another area for me that where I feel like it was a, uh, a misstep and mm-hmm. it may be something that potentially really could could hurt their brand. People are going to laugh at me and say, all Sony cares about is big blockbuster games, over-the-shoulder, narrative-driven storyline games. Look, you're right, and they're going to sell millions and millions and millions of copies of those games and make millions of dollars. But, you know, those quirky Sony Japan Studio games really is the fabric of what PlayStation is. It's what mm-hmm. it's what PlayStation the brand means to many people, not just me. You know, the Patapons, the Loco Rocos, all those amazing games that came from Japan Studio for, for so many years uh, are lost. And that really does does hurt for me. Um it's mm-hmm. something that I feel like even though Sony is saying, you know, Japan is still important to them and they're looking at ways to, you know, to to um to get get a foothold in Japan again. I mean, you just have to see what's going on, you know, um, and it doesn't really seem like it's really that important to them at this time. Yeah. I mean, whenever you see this type of consolidation, it's definitely a cause for alarm. And as you mentioned, those titles like Potapon, Loco Roco, Parappa the Rapper, mm-hmm. all those type of titles are now lost. And Sony kind of has a trend of doing this. We saw them consolidate in Europe during the PlayStation 3 era, where we have now lost out on Wipeout. Yeah. We've lost out on a lot of these iconic PlayStation IPs. And their focus on these Western, over-the-shoulder type of titles, it makes sense in the moment. But is this a long-term strategy that is going to bring success? That's to be determined. These are the Hollywood style games are popular now. Will they be popular in five years? And when you look back at that legacy of software that Sony created on the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 with titles like Ape Escape, Hot Shots Golf, those were titles that transcended numerous 
generations because they were fun. They had that casual appeal where anyone could pick up the game and play and enjoy it. When you start pivoting to The Last of Us, God of War, Days Gone, Ghost of Tsushima style games as your bread and butter, you're limiting that appeal to a sect primarily of that 18 to 40 year old gamer, which I understand those are the individuals with disposable income. They're the ones who are going to be buying those types of games in the in droves. But at the same time, you're limiting that self to that more adult market. Whereas that's why you have titles from Nintendo that appeal to everybody in the family. And that's why they have that worldwide appeal and success. And hopefully in 2022, maybe even 2023, we can see Sony kind of pivot back to those type of titles. Like you have it with Ratchet and Clank, but you need more. And it is a shame to see Sony Japan Studios be shut down because they were the developers who could output those type of titles and really give that unique, quirky gaming experience. And, you know, I hope we see the return of that one day with Sony. And now we can go into Microsoft because like Sony, Microsoft actually had a very similar year. Microsoft started the year with a big acquisition when they bought Bethesda and Zenimax and immediately added dozens of developers into their corporate umbrella. And this led to a lot of discussion over the course of 2021, what titles would be exclusive, would titles go multi-platform, and what is curious is in 2021, we did find out that Starfield will be an Xbox exclusive release. But we also saw Bethesda put out a multi-platform game with Quake. Which yep. kind of shows that you maybe the bigger releases will go Xbox exclusive, but there's still going to be those releases here and there that will find a way to multi-platform. Yeah, I mean, uh, as someone obviously who was intimately involved in that project, um, I will tell you that I was a little surprised. You know, when we were working on Quake at the time, Nate, and um, it was multi-platform, obviously. And then when the deal got done with um, Bethesda and uh, Zenimax being acquired by Microsoft, we were wondering, you know, are we still going to work on all the other versions of the game? And the message was... Yes, you are, you know, we're still, we still want to do that. And, um, I mean, you don't ask, you don't ask why, you know, um, but the, I guess the, at the end of the day, the reasoning is because, you know, there are going to be, I don't want to say small releases, but there are going to be releases that, um, will end up being cross platform. Now, whether that is true in the future after, you know, existing contracts have been fulfilled and existing obligations have been fulfilled. I don't know. That really does remain to be seen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's two different camps here. Everyone, you know, some people believe that everything will be exclusive to Xbox and Game Pass. Um, and then there are others that say, well, maybe some games may not be. And I, honestly, Nate, I don't really know. Like, uh, I don't really know which, which way is 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 um you know is the the way that Microsoft is going to want to go here but look at the end of the day Microsoft had a pretty decent year like you said very 
very much shades and and similar kind of ways of of what Sony had as well, you know. Um, but it, I kind of flip it around a little bit because I feel like Microsoft started extremely slowly and then found momentum in the second half of the year. Um, but in the first half of the year, that big acquisition really kind of um, gave them a lot of momentum anyway. And then there was, I think, another key moment for me was the Game Pass announcement for MLB The Show. That was a pretty big deal when when that was announced earlier in the year, if you recall. Um, again, if you if you don't like if you don't play baseball or if you're not a baseball fan, it probably means nothing to you. But looking at the big picture, that was a pretty big get for Microsoft to, to get that day one on Game Pass under the nose of Sony, or I don't know if it was under the nose, but you know they got it before Sony <laughs> did, right? So that that's that's pretty huge. Um, but Microsoft did come good in the second half of the year. Some big releases. Obviously, at you know, rounding rounding that out with Halo, um, just literally just a few weeks ago, the campaign mm-hmm. um, finally made its way uh, to us. You know, finally shipped, and I think you know now Microsoft, um, you know, can kind of rest rest easy and say, look, you know, we we accomplished everything that we said we were going to do this year uh, for the most part. And like Sony, I think they're going into next year with um, quite a bit of momentum. You know, they've got Starfield, obviously, is the big anchor game that will be a holiday game next year. Um, and, you know, what else will we see? They've obviously got a big portfolio of games. Uh, will Hellblade 2, you know, make an appearance next year? It might. Um, you know, it still may be a 2023 game. But there is a lot of speculation and a lot of lot of questions around Microsoft. But I think that you know next year potentially could be their best year. You know, it, it may be difficult to say that right now because we don't really know what what what's coming other than Starfield. But um, you know, Microsoft does have the potential of having a great year next year as well. So, look, I mm-hmm. I think like you said, Nate, I think a lot of similarities with Sony. Um, they just both of them kind of did things very in, in very similar ways. They just kind of went around or went about those methods in different ways. But ultimately, I kind of rate them pretty much the same as Sony as far as here, you know, how they how they ended up in 2021. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The way, the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out The Gaming Blender on all your favourite podcast platforms now. Yeah, Microsoft's 2021 was definitely a curious year. And I recall earlier this year when we were talking about the PlayStation and Xbox competition going into 2021, we said... Microsoft just has to survive. And this was at a time when we thought Sony was going to have Gran Turismo, Horizon, maybe God of War all come out in the, those first 12 months. And obviously none of those happened. 
But Microsoft has survived. And it was really on the backbone of Game Pass. As you mentioned, we didn't get a major first party published title from Microsoft until the second half of 2021 when we saw Flight Simulator or we can go even further with Forza Horizon 5 come Mm -hmm. to market. Up to that point, Microsoft was surviving on Game Pass and Game Pass deals with third parties like Outriders, MLB The Show, The Medium, titles like that to make people invested in the ecosystem that is the Xbox and Game Pass. And the fact that Microsoft was able to do that as well as they have really shows the strength of the service. And it also shows strength to the hardware line that they brought to market with the Series S and the Series X. If you look at the Japanese sales of each week, Xbox is performing admirably. Yeah, it's not at numbers like the Switch or even the PlayStation 5, which isn't doing fantastic in Japan. But the Xbox is putting up a valiant effort for what the Xbox is for that region. It is selling sometimes 4,000 units a week. It's typically around one point, you know, like 1,500, maybe 1,800, depending on supply. But that is good for the Xbox. And it shows the Series S is actually appealing to that market. And Game Pass is something that the Japanese market is responding to. And the inclusion of xCloud is something that the Japanese market is also responding to because they can play the games on their phones. And mobile gaming is a big thing in that region. So to see Microsoft finding success in the Japanese area in 2021 is really quite remarkable and something that I'm sure Phil Spencer and everyone at Microsoft is looking at and saying, we have to continue to make Game Pass deals with titles like Dragon Quest XI the Yakuza series, which is unfortunately being removed from Game Pass at the end of the year. But they're making those type of deals to appeal to that demographic. And they're going to major Japanese developers and publishers to put their games on Game Pass. So Game Pass was really the strength of Microsoft in 2021. And I'll even go as far as saying the Series S was also a strength of Microsoft. We've seen some reports come out that the Series S was actually leading in sales in certain regions, largely because there was more supply of the Series S than the Series X. But that affordable entry point that the Series S is, is allowing people to adopt this new generation of gaming and just kind of enjoy it, especially in its infancy when there's so few major next-gen only releases. It's a good means of just being introduced. But Microsoft also suffered from marketing missteps, just like Sony. And one of their biggest missteps was at the start of the year when Microsoft tried to raise the price of Xbox Live by double. Ooh, that was rough. It was bad, and they were called out on it. They immediately rescinded it, and they even came out and said, you know what, everyone who called us out, you're right. This price hike is asinine. And we're not going to do it anymore. And it was another case, kind of like Sony, where the consumer voiced their anger about a situation. And the companies listened, saying, you were right to call us out on this. We're not doing it anymore. But that was definitely Microsoft's, I think that was Microsoft's biggest marketing blunder of the year. 
was the Xbox Live gold price hike or attempted price hike. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm trying to think of other times, but for me, that was probably the big standout where, yeah, they they clearly missed the mark on that one. You know, it was it was something that they really mm-hmm. shouldn't have done in the first place and maybe <laughs> just gotten some some feedback testing or some sample testing from anyone that wasn't a bunch of yes men at the end of the day, you know. <laughs> but look, you know, it, it's also very encouraging to see that the public really does have a voice in, in these things. Um, look, you know, Twitter outrage is something that, you know, like I get on Twitter every day and there's people upset about things, you know. But in some cases the 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 outcry is justified. And this one um was definitely one of those situations. The Horizon Forbidden West uh price increase was mm-hmm. justified. And I think it's important to call out the big the big um hardware holders, you know, that if you're if you're messing something up, then you need to be told about it, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, look to Microsoft's credit, they quickly reversed that decision that they had made. They didn't, you know, um, dwell on it or try to, you know, convince people. Um, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes after six months. They just they reversed it immediately, and I think that was the right choice for them. Absolutely. Now, where. Microsoft didn't have a blunder like Sony. It was Microsoft really didn't have any software to delay because Microsoft's roadmap for 2021, as far as we knew back in 2020, it was followed because they really didn't have any software for 2021. And we knew that coming into this year, we kind of just hoped that they would make meaningful Game Pass additions, which they did. But software wise, all we really had to look forward to was Forza Horizon 5. Yep. Psychonauts 2, which was multi-platform. Deathloop, which was PlayStation 5 exclusive, despite being made by Microsoft Studio. And Halo Infinite. And the only uncertainty out of all these titles was whether or not Halo Infinite would actually make its 2021 release date, because all throughout 2021, there were rumors that the game's state wasn't in a great place. Despite the year delay, it was still going to come in rough, etc., etc. And Game came to market December 8th. Multiplayer launched November 15th. I mean all in all. I mean it was coming in pretty hot, wasn't it? And look, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. And um if Rand is listening or um uh, Colt Eastwood <laughs> or uh, Jeff Grubb, I apologize, <laughs> but I've played the Halo campaign and it is clear to me that this game was rushed out. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but there are parts of that game that is completely unfinished. So you know, you know that they were really grinding hard at the 11th hour to get that campaign ready um, to mm-hmm. launch. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad game. I, I, I like the campaign. I think it's 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 good. But you can tell that they really, really crunched to get this game out for the holiday, even with that year delay. Um, that they they gave themselves the multiplayer side is beautiful chef's kiss i love it i think i think uh, other than a few you know a few tweaks that it needs it needs new maps and all that stuff um i think the multiplayer side is, is excellent the single player side 
it, you can tell it it needs it needs more work. You know, um, the mm-hmm. open world uh, sandbox is fantastic, and I love that about it. But there is also parts of the game that are just grossly unfinished, and you can tell. Uh, and it doesn't take you know a, a, someone who's a game developer to to see it. Anyone can see it that has played Halo games in the past that. There are literally sections of the game where nothing is happening, and um, you can tell that they really just need some more more time. But hey, look, I'm glad that they shipped the game finally. You know, we're not we don't have to talk about Halo Infinite. You know, when when's it when it's coming out again? Because I I think we've talked about it you know so much you yeah. know, over the last eighteen months. Um, I am glad it's out. And look, you know, shipping games is hard, right? We've said that before. And mm-hmm. this was the way that they decided to do it. They they kind of piece piecemealed the game, which I don't necessarily agree with. But in the end, look, I'm glad that the game finally came out. Now that the year is at its end, and we know what the major releases were from Sony and Microsoft, which of the two do you think had the stronger exclusive lineup from first party in the calendar year? Man, this is a tough question. You know. It's easy just to to say one of them, but then I think about the other one and, and be like, well, you know, it, it's kind of even. Can I say it's a tie? Can I say that? You, you, <laughs> I'm, you I'm can sitting, say I'm, that. I'm totally sitting on the fence. No, if I, look, if, I, if I had to pick one, Nate, only because I'm a big flight simulator fan, I'd give it to Microsoft. Okay. But if I didn't care, I mean, if I didn't care about Flight Simulator, and a lot of people don't care about Flight Simulator, <laughs> it probably would would say Sony was was kind of the winner. But I, I'm going to give it to Microsoft. I mean, it definitely comes down to your taste in games because you know, as we mentioned, Microsoft really only had Flight Simulator, Forza Horizon Five, and Halo Infinite. Sony had Returnal, Ratchet. Destruction Derby, All Stars, Ratchet and Clank. The Ghost and Death Stranding remasters, Death Loop. They had more of that variety versus well, Microsoft. Here's the thing, right? They 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 gave us enhanced versions of yes. Ghost of Tsushima and Death Stranding and Final Fantasy VII, mm-hmm. right? But how is that different than like? the 60 fps patch that prey got for game pass you, you see what i'm saying like right do we, yeah. do we really count those into the equation because then i could say well microsoft gave us a huge dump of backward compatible games you know at the end of the year for their 20th anniversary you know 115 titles That's so true i don't i don't know if i would if i would factor that in but i also could could argue that they should be in there as well you know if you are Mm-hmm. upgrading goes to Tsushima and you are adding DLC to the game, then, yeah, I mean, I guess it needs to be part of the conversation as well. But I never really considered yeah. it, though, I guess. See, that's where Microsoft's strength of the year, especially when you factor in, like, the Game Pass element, is also that backwards compatibility focus. Unfortunately, it does seem as though they have exhausted all their options and they've reached a limit. What's going to be added to backwards compatibility is there. They have said there's going to be no future additions at this time, at least planned. Hopefully that changes because there's definitely a lot of games that Microsoft is now in ownership of that should be added or that they still own that. I'm, I'm not sure why they're not add to backwards compatibility. 
like Project Gotham. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but like Microsoft's focus in 2021 really felt as though they they knew they had no major exclusive launches and they needed to find ways to make the system engaging to people so they leaned on game pass made those deals with mlb the show outriders etc and they also looked at that legacy of software and said what can we get to put on the system let's get max Payne. let's get the max Payne trilogy and let's increase the resolution and frame performance from some of those older games let's make the entire gears of war trilogy 120 frames a second or let's they went about it in such a unique way and all of this was no extra charge to the user right it was you have the system you get to benefit from all these upgrades and that's amazing from the consumer point of view of i'm just getting free upgrades i'm getting auto hdr on xbox 360 games if you have a tv with hdr you're getting all these benefits and at no point did microsoft try to nickel and dime you they really played to their strength of catering to the consumer with tinsel and mm-hmm. decorations. where ultimately were any of these things a major deal at the end of the day um, or were they simply just these are bright and shiny and they're exciting in yeah. the moment no i don't think so Let's be honest. I mean, I love backward compatibility, and uh, I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm very sad that it's it's gone. At least for the time being, we won't see it. Uh, hopefully, it'll come come back at some point. But for now, I mean, the message is pretty clear that <laughs> this is the last update. But look, yeah, you're right, Nate. I mean, I think Game Pass and backward compatible games really kind of help Microsoft get through the mm-hmm. initial part of you know, the year, you know, the first six months, if you will, um, because there was really nothing else that was going on. So, hey, here's uh-huh. here's a bunch of old Bethesda games that we've, we've patched, you know. <laughs> here's um, 50 Cent Blood in the Sand that you can play on your Xbox Yo. Series S, right? Uh, I, I love that stuff. And I love the fact that, uh-huh. you know, the Xbox Series S and X has a massive library of games that it can play play from across three generations, four generations even. And mm-hmm. look, at the end of the day, it's it's really great. And I love that they're they're honoring their legacy and and they're doing everything that they can to preserve their history and their legacy. But yeah, at, look, they're just shinies, like you said. You know, they're they're cool, cool things that that you'll play. And I look I've I went back and just played Max Payne 3 in its entirety from start to finish. I loved it. Had a great time. But, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's a really cool feature, but it's it's not necessarily something that, you know, is going to really help their bottom dollar at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. what, what is going to sell more Game Pass subscriptions and hardware sales is the big AAA blockbuster games, the Starfields, you know, the Redfalls, all the games that are coming out, uh, the Fables, the Perfect Darks. Those are the things that they really need to focus on. And look, I think they know that as well, you know, um, that they have to really start to to hunker down for the future. They mm-hmm. they dug themselves out of the, the Don Matrick era. And look, credit to Phil, <laughs> because I felt like, 
maybe they wouldn't you know maybe maybe that the xbox brand would just kind of taper off and 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 it would just die eventually right and uh i think phil really has turned it around you know not only with some great hardware but some great decision making and some great acquisitions as well so you know mm-hmm. now it's up to them to really just continue with this momentum that they they finished this end of the year with and and hopefully they they can go into next year with an even better year than 2021 yeah i mean right now based on the lineup we know from microsoft they're definitely going to start 2022 similar to 2021 like we know stalker 2 is coming to game pass we know halo infinite will continue to evolve with updates and new additions be it maps weapons we know halo infinite is basically a games as a service it's going to evolve over the course of the generation for years to come but it does feel as though moving into 2022 microsoft may find themselves once again kind of in that position of they have to leverage game pass and get those third-party deals made make the platform really appealing which i mean they did in 2021 but that's kind of one of those tricks where you can only do it for so long until you do begin to see behind the curtain and once you see behind the curtain that you know all those factories in this sense the developers that microsoft have acquired are still just busy working and they don't have a product ready for market yet you do become impatient whereas sony's going to come out strong in 2022 right out of the gate with gran turismo horizon sony is ready or it appears that they're ready to really gear up the PlayStation 5 in 2022 with these big releases. Whereas with the play, with the Xbox Series X, we don't know. Will Forza Motorsport 8 be ready for next year? Right. Will Hellblade 2 be released for next year? All we know at this moment is Starfield, which it could be the next big thing. Yep. Or it could be another or it could be a blunder by Bethesda. Yeah. It's you know it's too early to tell. And what if it gets delayed? And, I'm not saying it will. Uh, don't quote me. But like, what if it does? Right? <laughs> like, then then it's it's a bad look again because it's it's kind of like Halo all mm-hmm. over again almost. So you know th- there's there's definitely right. momentum with Microsoft, and I think they're in a good place right now. But there's also pressure on them to really execute as well. You know, the yes. the platform is there. They've established it the the hardware is selling well the game pass is doing great for them they've mm-hmm. got they've got the studios behind them there's no excuses now you know you could say yes covid is still a, a factor and yes it is mm-hmm. and you know we we can't discount that and it's the ripples of covid just continue to shock you know studios and and cause delays you know in some cases mm-hmm. ones that we don't even really think about but on the flip side Studios now have dev kits. You know, this time last year, there was all these questions around, do do half these studios even have dev kits? They're developing on older Xbox One hardware, you know, all that sort of stuff. Everyone has a dev kit now. You know, studios are are set. You know, they know the Xbox hardware. Mm -hmm. They know how to get the best out of it. So really, there's no excuses now. They have to to start bringing bringing these games out and um you know i i'm I'm confident that we'll start to see that and i do think we'll see starfield next year and we'll probably see forza motorsport as well come out and maybe hellblade will will get um a date as well but we'll see yeah i mean microsoft moving into 2022 
especially of the two companies, Sony and Microsoft, Microsoft is definitely that unknown quantity. We know they have tons of developers and they're working on ambitious projects like Fable, Hellblade 2, Perfect Dark. But we also know those are projects that are not coming in 2022. Those right. are 2023, 2024, titles like Avowed. Mm-hmm. There's great stuff in the pipeline. It's just that on the roadmap that Microsoft has laid out, they're years away. Whereas 2022, we have Stalker, we have Redfall, we have Starfield. Three big games, but you need you need consistency. You need flow throughout the calendar year to keep people interest high. And you know, 2021, definitely due to COVID and everything going on around the world, I can definitely see how people viewed the PlayStation 5 and even the Xbox Series X as really just a Xbox One XX mm-hmm. or PlayStation 4 Pro Pro because we weren't getting those exclusives. In 2022, that should change. Microsoft's last Xbox One title should have been Halo Infinite because officially, I believe that was the last title that they had officially announced as an Xbox One game. And now that that is behind us, hopefully it means Microsoft is done with cross-generation. Everything moving forward is going to be Series X. Sony, we still know, have cross-generation games in the pipeline. But, you know, 2022 for Sony and Microsoft is going to be an interesting year to see how things really develop in terms of next-generation output and if we really start to see what these systems are capable of. And if 2022 is the true introduction to next-generation hardware, because 2021 wasn't it. It was an appetizer of what can be. Will 2022 be the main entree or is the entree coming in 2023 that's something we will find out in 12 months (laughs) and then we have nintendo who like sony and microsoft just felt as though 2021 was the year of the acquisition and nintendo didn't want to feel left behind so they decided to go out and buy next level games famed developer of mario strikers and luigi's mansion two and three This was an announcement that kind of came out of nowhere. We eventually learned that the ownership of Next Level Games was looking to sell. Nintendo saw a good opportunity to acquire a talented studio that they have been working with now for nearly two decades. And is a perfect fit for Nintendo. And it allows Nintendo to expand their North American developer catalog by one because they really don't have all that many. They have Retro, Next Level Games, and NST. And they don't really make games anymore yeah i mean nintendo i mean again like (laughs) sony and microsoft had a decent year but it was definitely not their best you know um overall i think they did enough you know where they um they could end this year feeling pretty good they have obviously a lot of hype around next year where we will see Pokemon Arceus. We may, I don't think we will, but a lot of people believe that Breath of the Wild 2 will be releasing next year. I don't think it will be. I still feel like it's going to fall out of next year. Um, We will see Splatoon 3 and possibly some more metroid next year nate i think we will um i don't know yes 100% what fashion that will be but i feel like we will see more metroid next year mm-hmm. we may see um 
a couple of other surprises as well. So, look, Nintendo had a decent year. There was some highlights. The acquisition of Next Level Games, I think, was pretty big for them. Some of the games that came out this year were, you know, I thought were were fantastic. Uh, obviously, the big highlight for me was Metroid Dread. I thought mm-hmm. it's, you know, it was in the conversation of game of the year and rightfully so. It really was the biggest game of the year for me. Now, in terms of sales, no, it 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 was not, you know, and I think a lot of people, um, you know, haven't played a Metroid game and, you know, they should check out Metroid Dread because I think it's it's definitely one worth checking out if you haven't. But look, overall, the Switch was, uh, I mean, obviously sold very well. It continues to sell very well. Um, now, is it official that it's over $100 million now or is we're speculating that it's probably at $100 million of the making of this episode? Officially, it is not at $100 million as of recording. Right. It is speculative based on their Q3 forecast. Yeah. If they hit their forecasting numbers of Q3, it means they hit 100 million. They should be, if they actually, if they're flat compared to last Q3, they should be at about 102 or 103 million end of this month. Yeah. I mean, as expected, you know, um, it, they're doing very well. Uh, look, this was, this was a, I don't want to say a tough year for Nintendo. They, they did, they did enough you know, for this year to be a good one for them. Um, the directs that they had were pretty low-key, I would say, for the most part. But again, you know, it's all about next year. You know, I think, and, and maybe we're, we're, um, we're a little naive thinking that next year is going to be any better than this year, you know, with, with delays and COVID Ooh. and stuff. Um, but I'd like to think that next year will be a bigger year for Nintendo. Um, potentially... Uh, one of their biggest since the launch of the Switch, but we'll 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 have to see what what comes out of that. But yeah, look, overall, the year was fine. Um, you know, Metroid Dread for me was the big highlight. They acquired studios just in the same way as their counterparts did as well, and mm-hmm. look, they sold a lot of software and hardware. And obviously, the the Switch OLED was was something of a highlight as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it'll be more of the same next year. Plus, you know, um, some bigger games that come out. Hopefully, yeah. Twenty twenty two for Nintendo is definitely going to be a big year in terms of software. That'll be a topic that we have in January when we talk about some of our predictions and what we know for these three companies going into twenty twenty two. But for twenty twenty one, I mean, like the other two companies. It felt as though it was a conservative year in terms of software output. Nintendo leaned on titles like Skyward Sword HD. It sold well. It was the first introduction to Skyward Sword for a lot of people. Not really an overly ambitious release, but a nice safe release, something that we see from Nintendo time and time. WarioWare, a return to a franchise that has been absent for several years now. Metroid Dread definitely nintendo's big release this year though pokemon diamond and pearl are is selling gangbusters worldwide but metroid dread was the software leader in terms of hype and anticipation and excitement from nintendo in 2021 and you know i think dread delivered 
on the promise. It delivered on what it had to be. It's what Metroid fans wanted from a new Metroid game, especially a 2D Metroid game. And we will see Metroid again in 2022. Overall, when I look at Nintendo's 2021, it felt like a year that they wanted to have something bigger, but software delays prevented them from having it. Some yep. of these titles felt like they were slotted in as a, you know, like we need a release for the summer. What do we have on deck? Yep. We have Skyward Sword. Yep. I, I totally agree with that, Nate. Like it, you know, Pikmin 3 was a game that Nintendo had in their pocket <laughs> that they used last year. And I feel like there was more of that this year. You know, they they had to fill some fill some gaps with with some titles, you know, and and um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And that's where, like, it's not a bad software year because Nintendo, like, you have Microsoft that has Game Pass to fall back on. Nintendo has indie games. I thought you got to say have, the Switch Online service. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> like, they have those indie games, and they kind of have some late ports from third parties. But it excites because it's portable. So people are like, hey, I get to play. What's a late port that came out this year? Dragon Ball Z Kakarot on my Switch. Right. And that excites some people because, hey, it's finally on the platform. But it's the indies that really, like, shine for the Switch, and it introduces people to... A lot of franchises they really wouldn't have otherwise, you know, played or maybe even heard of. Nintendo's output overall, it wasn't bad this year. Definitely lower key than I think you would have anticipated in a in normal circumstance. This is four years since the Switch launched. Typically, this is when you see sequels to some of the launch software. So you would have been anticipating titles like Splatoon 3 in 2021 had COVID not happened. Because it's four years, that's a typical development cycle. But it's coming, you know, in the first half of next year. So you can understand how that played out. COVID pushed everything back a year, maybe six months. But overall, I mean, Nintendo had they had the year they needed. Their hardware continues to sell. Their software is selling. They're catering to the needs of their base. They're giving that core fans titles like metroid dread they're giving those casual gamers stuff like mario golf and WarioWare, things like that and that shows like that variety that nintendo thrives on something that microsoft and sony don't have just yet in their software diversity nintendo has there's always kind of something there for people to try to test they have that quirky game like game builder garage yep Something you would never see on the other platforms unless you want to count something like Little Big Planet where you could create stages and such, or Dreams, which unfortunately isn't on the PlayStation 5. But Nintendo's year, it felt conservative, it felt safe, it had quality, not a ton of quantity from Nintendo's first party efforts, but enough to satisfy the Switch base. Unless you were looking for epics like, you know, Breath of the Wild 2 caliber games from Nintendo. I mean, they started the year with 3D World and Bowser's Fury. Bowser's Fury definitely caught people by surprise in the scope of how the game played. A little more open in design, ambitious with some ideas. And then we kind of fell into Nintendo's typical cycle of you have smaller key titles coming out. You have the Mario Sports game. You have the Wii U HD port in the summer. And then you end the year with the bigger titles like Metroid Dread and Pokemon. So overall for our software output, you know, not bad. 
not great 2022 should be a much better year in comparison versus 2021 but nintendo just like the other two had their missteps and their biggest misstep is the always valuable nintendo switch online what a mess this is nintendo walks up to the plate base is loaded no outs no fielders in the field but the pitcher all they have to do is make contact and they somehow hit into a triple play by lining out to the pitcher throws home gets the out and all of a sudden you're like what just happened they bring nintendo 64 to nso i guess the first mistake depending on the individual would be the pricing twenty dollars a no thirty dollars a year on top of the twenty dollar a year nso subscription so fifty dollars a year to access nintendo 64 games to many that price was a lot higher than anticipating most were expecting maybe an additional twenty dollars for a higher subscription tier so the pricing has been a long debate since its introduction in october and then the quality of the games and the emulation itself input lag lack of fog crashing crashing uh removing removal of save files inadvertently emulation issues it's just a mess absolute mess now look i i don't want to the thing that really is is um something that i want to really mention is that m2 did a fine job on the sega genesis and they should be commended for the work they did on on their on their efforts because I've actually been playing a lot of the Genesis stuff in recent times, mm-hmm. Nate, and it's it's near flawless. It is it yes. is very very good. M two are the the masters of this stuff, and they did a phenomenal job. N sixty four is a bit of a dog's breakfast. Let's be honest it's not it's not great. It's in a bad <laughs> state right now, and I. I'm curious to see when Banjo-Kazooie comes out early next year, whether they will address some of these issues behind the scenes. Paper Mario, when that released, they didn't really address anything. There was uh, a couple of small things that they fixed, but the kind of low-hanging fruit, the issues that many of us have been unhappy with have not been addressed. In fact, Paper Mario introduced the, the save file removal on the emulation crash as a potential issue as well so part of me feels like maybe they should have held back on n64 and really kept it in the lab to um to get polished up you know maybe (laughs) another six months and maybe they should have pivoted and released game boy because we know game boy is some yes. part of this service that is again it's probably uh-huh. in Nintendo's back pocket for uh-huh. the waiting for the right time for them to launch but i feel like maybe they should have come out of the gate with game boy game boy color and genesis as the nso service the premium uh-huh. service for this year and really just held back on the N64 stuff until, look, no emulation is perfect. There's always going to be issues. And even, even myself, like the, you know, I'm, I'm not going to criticize a service if there's um, a couple of one-off quirky things 
But when you've got, you know, these deep-rooted issues with the emulation that, A, can be fixed, right? And B, you know that um, these things were done because probably they wanted to get this service out as quickly as they could before the end of the year really just makes you wonder maybe they just should have held back a little longer on the N64 stuff and given us the Game Boy and Game Boy Color stuff first. What do, what do you think about mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I mean, from my understanding, N64 had only finished QA around May, if not June of 2021. And then it was announced in September, launched in October. Game Boy and Game Boy Color finished QA much, much earlier. Right. So this is that's something that Nintendo is done with. They're just they have it in their pocket and they're waiting for the time to bring it to market. The only reason I can see that they brought N64 to market first is that they want to introduce the higher pricing tier. Yeah. They wanted to pair Genesis with N64. And maybe they wanted N64 out there to see how it was on the Switch. And when you look at like the games, Mario Kart 64 win back and such you know that they're the expansion port is compatible you can have either rumble or you can have the save data in these games nintendo has prioritized rumble which means it does kind of introduce the idea of the transfer pack right now if you bring pokemon stadium to n64 and you bring the Game Boy games, including Pokemon, you could potentially introduce compatibility with the Game Boy game, Pokemon Stadium, and you could transfer your Pokemon from the Game Boy service to this title. So maybe that's something that Nintendo was still actively working on, and they didn't want to bring Game Boy to market with the Pokemon games until Pokemon Stadium was done on N64, and they wanted to bring those at the same time. Like some sort of correlation between the two. Yeah. Because Game Boy emulation is finished for NSO. It's done. I get it's not that exciting. They're Game Boy games. Well they're black and white. I mean, <laughs> look at the look at the the amount of hype that we've seen with the analog pocket in recent times. True. I mean, people love love, love, love Game Boy games and Game Boy Color games. Some of the best games that Nintendo's ever made, let's be honest. I mean, Link's, Link's yes. Awakening on the Game Boy Color is is far and away better than the Switch Gresso version, which I don't I think is is fine, but I mm-hmm. would much prefer the original, and I think most people would agree with that. Mario Golf for me is the best iteration of Mario Golf on the Game Boy Color out of yes. all of them. Yes, you've got games like Donkey Kong ninety four. I mean, there is just mm-hmm. there is just quality, and there is gold to be found on on the Game Boy. Um, it's really, yes. you know, for those people that haven't really mm-hmm. experienced it, it's seeing beyond, you know, the the four colors or, you know, in the case of the, <laughs> the Game Boy Color, you know, the 16 colors or, or whatever the color palette was. It's seeing beyond mm-hmm. the low resolution and, and all that stuff. It's it's really about the quality of these games that were made for the system, you know, when, you, when right. developers are given such a limited palette you know, to to create art on. Mm-hmm. Usually, they they create masterpieces because they just have so little to work with, and it really does 
make some of these developers really shine with the quality of work they've done. And I think the Game Boy is is the best example of that. And there's just some some amazing stuff on there. I know I'm I'm probably upselling it. I get it, but look, <laughs> look at the analog pocket. There is a lot of hype for the Game Boy right now, and you know, in some ways, Nintendo may 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 have, they should have may have just launched the Game Boy and Game Boy Color stuff instead, and just let the N64 stuff, you know, leave it in the oven yeah. for a bit longer. I mean, looking at the state of how N64 came out, there's definitely a case to be made that they should have sat on this. Let's say Game Boy and Game Boy Color, just for the sake of the discussion, is announced in March. I think had that been reversed and N64 waited till March, it would have been better for everybody. You could have got a better emulator. We've got a better state of games from N64, ideally. I mean, that's not to say Nintendo wouldn't have still sat there and said, this is what we got. This is what's coming to market. The same as what we had, you know, back in October. There's always that chance. But there's definitely just those flaws that we continue to hope that they fix. And even with Paper Mario, I believe I saw it on Twitter, that Nintendo actually changed something to make the frame rate worse on the pause menu. Right. Why would you intentionally go out of your way to do that? I I think it's it's one of those (laughs) things where... um, you touch something and it breaks something else. Emulation is very, very touchy sometimes. <laughs> and and then you add N64 into that mix. Look, each each game is going to have its own quirks. Um, I'm nervous about Banjo now. Like I feel like, you know, Banjo is a game that traditionally runs pretty well on emulation. It shouldn't have any issues. Um, but, you know, it's not. It's also not perfect. You know, there are parts of the game that, that have issues as well. So... You know, we'll see how that that one plays out. And if you know, you mentioned Pokemon Coliseum, that game uh-huh. really has trouble with emulation. So, you know, they have uh, they have an uphill battle, you know, to get this right. You know, but it's not it's not something that can't be fixed. It's really now whether Nintendo, you know, is interested in doing so. You know, and again. It goes back to what I said about Microsoft and and Game Pass and and backward compatible. They're little little like you said. You said little shinies, you know, little cool things that you can uh-huh. you can pick up and play. And I love that. But Nintendo obviously is focused on their up and coming titles as well. So, but I guess the difference here is that people have paid good money for this service. You know, not not to say that right. people don't pay money for Game Pass. They absolutely do, but. People have paid money for the N64 NSO, and right now it's substandard. And look, it it really is up to Nintendo to fix this. Now, whether they will, I, I don't really know, you know, but hopefully they'll just silently patch this over time. And if they do, then, you know, I'll be happy, you know, that, that, that they've obviously listened to the feedback and, and they're addressing it. But I don't know, Nate. I mean... It, look, NSO is just a bit of a mess. I haven't touched the N64 stuff in a while um, since I made my video, and I haven't even played Paper Mario, to be honest, but I will probably check out Banjo on the service because um, hopefully they'll, you know, it'll it'll work well and they'll do a good job, but mm-hmm. we'll see. You know, for me, the, the, the highlight right now is the Genesis side, which I think is, like I said, it's near flawless. Yeah, the Genesis stuff is, you know, as close to perfection as you're going to get, and it's going to be... It's going to be interesting moving into 2022 is 
Sony's going to introduce their solution of offering legacy software with PlayStation 1, PS2, PSP. We know how Microsoft approaches approaches backwards compatibility. We know how Nintendo approaches legacy software. If Nintendo ends up being the worst of the three, that's not going to look good for them. That's something that they are going to have to come up with a counter to. Mm. They have to improve their service. And NSO has its own share of problems. We're paying for peer-to-peer networking. We don't get any features. We very rarely are given any incentive to actually be subscribed to the service. That looks to be changing. We saw the Animal Crossing DLC be attached to the expansion pack. So that's definitely an avenue Nintendo is probably likely going to continue to explore moving into the future, into 2022 with other expansion packs, like be it a Splatoon 3 content pack or what have you. But when you just look at the state of these games on the service, and especially the rollout, there's no roadmap as to how these games come out. The only roadmap we've actually been given is that they happen to mention Banjo-Kazooie is coming out in January. Right. We don't know anything That's, beyond that, do we? Like, officially. Yeah. And it does sound like NSO in 2022 may have a surprise as far as, like, software release is concerned. We'll talk about that at another episode. But right now, NSO just does not feel like a product that justifies its cost. I don't even think it justifies its existence. Nope. Because when we look at backwards compatibility, like with the Xbox, as we mentioned, if I happen to own an Xbox version of Max Payne from 20 years ago, I put that disc in my Series X and I can play my game. Yeah, and I get all these added benefits you get that the system. Def- you get sixty yeah. FPS. You get auto HDR. You get some for great nothing. features. Yeah, for free for no additional cost. Whereas NSO, and this will even be a problem with Sony, but since it doesn't exist yet, we can't talk about it. But with NSO, I'm getting a worse version of Ocarina of Time that I'm paying thirty dollars a year to access, and. Is the game still quality? Is it still a good game? Yes. It just should it should have released in a better state. Yeah. And that's where I look at NSO and N64 expansion pack as probably Nintendo's biggest blunder of 2021. This should have been a hype-inducing announcement. This should have been a heavily anticipated release for the Switch audience. Access to N64 games, online Mario Kart 64 with friends, everything on paper sounds like a win it's exciting but then the execution came up short and that's it's so disappointing to see a product like that come to market where you can see the potential you know it can be great and it just falls short for reasons beyond understanding yep well said uh I totally agree with that I mean you know my thoughts I've made videos on it we've talked about it <laughs> on previous episodes um is the the service is not good and it needs to improve and um i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that it will well so we'll we'll have to see yeah. what the future holds i mean otherwise for nintendo's 2021 i mean hardware sold incredibly well they had to actually adjust their forecasts because of shortages and the demand is high they're not going to reach the forecast that they had they had to actually 
sell it a little short. They dropped it by a million units. But as we mentioned, I mean, Switch will eclipse 100 million, if not already. We'll find that out in just a few weeks when Nintendo does their Q th- Q3 financial report. I mean, it will officially have passed the Nintendo Wii. A figure I'm sure people... It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that the Switch has outsold the Wii in less than five years. Right. Yeah, it is. But, it's it's amazing to think about. And because the Wii was so dominant in those first four years on market, but then it cratered and it cratered hard. Whereas the Switch is not showing any signs of slowing down. But Nintendo's president has put out the statement that for early 2022, supply is definitely a concern of theirs. And they said it's really dependent on demand, whether or not they will have supply to meet the demand. So they're kind of aware of they may not be hitting the sales that they wanted, not due to, you know, any slowing down of the hardware. But I have seen some people, once again, the discussion comes up every year. Will the switch pass the DS? Hmm. It's going to be tough. It could happen. Um, I need to look at the trajectories again and, and see if that's if that's a thing. If it doesn't, it's going to come damn close, I would say. I mean, that's a, like at this point in time, it's really difficult to say because let's I'll give it one hundred three million at the end of December just for a number. It would still have to sell 52 million units. Right. So people could say, oh, well, you know, as long as it's on market for another three years, it could do that. Yes. At an average of. 19 million units a year for the next three years, it would pass the DS. But think about that. An average of 19 million units for three years. Right. And I, I <laughs> here's another thing I'll say. I feel like for that to happen, we need Breath of the Wild to next year. And that, again, I don't know if that's going to actually come out next year. Even if you had Breath of the Wild 2 next year, you, you still have to factor in the idea of eventually there's going to be saturation in the market. How much more can the Japanese market really continue to buy the Switch? It's over, I believe it's over 22 million in the region now. Mm-hmm. Is it going to hit 30 million in Japan? Yeah, I mean, like, good, good question, really. I mean, the DS was, the DS was a, a phenomenon at its time. Right. It sold over 30 million units at one point, a figure that is mind boggling. The Switch could come close, but it's tough to say in the present. I mean, Nintendo definitely had a strong 2021 in terms of hardware sales. And when you look at their software output, it appears that the Switch hardware is just very appealing. They don't need that Breath of the Wild 2 type of release to achieve 25 million sales. They have that evergreen catalog with Mario Kart and Breath of the Wild 1 to Pokemon to really propel sales forward. So Nintendo's definitely ending the year strong. You had Metroid Dread, Game of the Year nominee, but overall very conservative year, very safe year. 2022 feels as though that's going to be the year that we really see Nintendo expand, take risks, and one of those risks will be made apparent in the first half of the year when Kirby comes to the Switch with a 3D Kirby which should excite fans. I know I'm excited for it. Me too. I can't wait for that game. I'm very, very excited about it. 
So now if we had to give a quick grade to each of the companies for the 2021, what would you give Sony? B minus. Okay. What would you give Microsoft? A B. And Nintendo. B minus. Wow, you give Microsoft the edge for the year. I think so. I think so. And look, again, maybe it's just, you know, recency bias, whatever whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but um, I've been very, very impressed with Microsoft's second half of the year. They they kind of got it all together at the right time. They had a great E3. Let's not forget that. You know, their, their E3 presentation was one of the best they, they've had in years, let's be honest. I mean, yes. a lot of people say it was their best. I don't necessarily think it was. I feel like when um, when Phil... Uh, when Peter Moore rolled up his sleeve and the GTA 4 tattoo was on on his sleeve, that was pretty hype. So, you know, we're going back a long time. Look, Microsoft came good at the right time of the year, and I feel like they just edged out Sony and Nintendo. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are your uh, um, grades? I almost want to give Sony an incomplete. <laughs> you got to give them something. I mean, like, <laughs> they, they, I mean, they, they, they ship games. They bought studios. They, they did everything. They did. It just wasn't the promise that they, <laughs> that they said we'd have. I mean, Sony. If I'm harsh on them, I come in at a C plus. Yep. They came in. and it's a C plus. It was the best of their ability. It's the best they could have done, mm-hmm. considering the circumstance. They opened strong. They just didn't end strong. They looked at titles like Cana to kind of fill out their lineup, which is fine. They made some big acquisitions. Just curious how the acquisitions really play out for them. 2022 is going to be a much stronger year for Sony. They did, they did what they had to do in 2021. Microsoft, it, they leaned so heavily on Game Pass, and they didn't have that banger of a title until Forza Horizon 5 and then have Halo so you definitely have recency bias at play. If I'm harsh on Microsoft, I come in with a strong C. Mm-hmm. Not a bad year. Again, best they could have done considering everything. Nintendo. Nintendo, I come in at a B minus. Yeah. I mean, we we definitely agree there, I think, on, on Nintendo. Yeah. You know they they, they, mean, they they had a a solid lineup of games throughout the calendar year. Nothing was was earth shattering. Yes, Metroid they didn't was, have that. was the big game for me. Um, right, and that's just that's my preference. A lot of people didn't even buy Metroid. Right, a lot of people mm-hmm. don't care about it, but I I really enjoyed it. And I think, like you said, you know, you brought up a great point that. Nintendo delivered something for everyone. You know, mm-hmm. you could, you know, for me, the big two highlights were probably the the two that sold the least, and that was Game Builder Garage and Metroid Dread. But <laughs> someone else probably really loved Mario Golf. Mm-hmm. I didn't play Mario Golf. I didn't really think it was that appealing on the Switch. But you know, that's 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 the great thing about the Switch that is that. Yes, there is something for everyone. And I think, you know, Nintendo did enough in in that regard. Yeah, I think that's where, you know, when I view Nintendo like this, it's just that safe year. They had a lot of variety. They just didn't have that 
banger of a release. They didn't have that whoa game. They didn't have the Halo or the Forza or the Returnal or the Ratchet. Dread was the closest thing they had to it, and Dread may be that caliber for some people. And I mean, it's a fantastic game, one of the best games of the year, but it's Metroid. It just doesn't it doesn't have that appeal that like a big new Mario game would have had or even Splatoon 3 or a Fire Emblem or something of that tier. Metroid just isn't that upper echelon of Nintendo franchises. And as as you mentioned, Metroid just isn't that big of a title to so many people. It was a quality release. It just wasn't that yo yep. megaton rele- game yep. in terms of optics. But I mean, for Nintendo to come in at a B minus at this point of a generation yeah. and have the year they've had in terms of hardware sales, I mean, I think that's a strong grade for them at this point. I agree. So okay. 2022 will probably be much higher. La- last question about Nintendo from me. Will we see, <laughs> and I want to say it doesn't matter what it is, Will we see mm-hmm. new hardware from Nintendo next year? Release or announced? Announced. Oh man! And that could I, even be like a Switch Lite OLED. So like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Switch Lite it could be OLED. anything. I think. Are we going to see a new SKU announced next year? Hmm. I mean, I'd say there exists. The chance, yes, we see an announcement of some kind, but that'll be something we can go into a little more in a predictions video for 2022. You heard it here first. <laughs> there may be new hardware announced next year. <laughs> I think. I think we'll probably see. Like, I think the OLED Switch Lite is something that I keep thinking about. Maybe they're gonna start looking at it just seems like a natural move for them to make or you would think you would think but we'll see it's nintendo (laughs) they uh they like to surprise so we'll see what happens next year you know what else is surprising getting 20 percent off and free shipping with the code nate the hate at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com use the code nate the hate and be sure to treat your balls to a happy new year we can go into some of the Streamlabs questions for this week. And our first question comes from Lee, who donated $2.65 and writes, Greetings from the UK, guys. Is there anything stopping Microsoft implementing an Xbox and Xbox 360 emulator that would only play physical media at the original resolution and frame rate? No upscale, no FPS boost, no way to purchase in the store. It continues, where Lee donated an additional 265 and continue to write this would just be a game player similar to a cd and dvd player for music and film the question then is it worth it to microsoft if they can't monetize the effort required also you guys check also have you guys checked out the games master reboot on youtube mvg ywn ynwa Oh, you never walk alone. He's a Liverpool fan. Uh. <laughs> so there's a lot of questions there. I'll, I'll try to answer them as best I can. So look, it doesn't make sense if Microsoft just had an emulator where you put the disc in and it played the games at the same resolution because I think you you kind of touched on it. 
that they do want to monetize this stuff, right? Like they, they, mm-hmm. you know, if they're going to offer a backward compatible service, you know, they're going to want to somehow make money off of that. Now, like right now, their back compat service, you don't need Game Pass to run games backward compatible. So technically speaking, they're not making anything off, off that service at all. But I don't really think it makes any sense for them to offer an emulator that just plays the game at the original original resolution. I would almost take a leaf out of Don Matrix's book and say, if you want to do that, just buy a 360 or an OG Xbox. There's <laughs> there's still millions of them out there, and you're going you're going to get the best experience on those systems anyway. Mm-hmm. But look, if you want that upscale, that auto HDR, the potential of double the frame rates and all the bells and whistles, then, you know, you want to jump on the, the Series S and the Series X. Indeed. Then had a dollar donation from Jackie G, who writes, what games do you currently have pre-ordered? None. None. <laughs> I literally have no games pre-ordered. Yeah, I don't typically pre-order games, unless it's like a collector's edition or something that I want. Otherwise, I just go to the store the day it comes out and buy it. Yep. Then had a dollar donation from Jackie G, who writes, bonus question this week, since I'm furious at the Halo physical copy situation, is it fair to say that Microsoft only included a disk drive on the Series X for the sake of third parties? They clearly don't care about collectors on Xbox, and it's really sad. Oh, that's a, that's a, I mean, we could talk about for this for 30 more minutes, but here's what I will say. (laughs) Microsoft's future is Game Pass, cloud, and digital distribution. You can come to any conclusions you like based on that information. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Then had a $3.95 donation from Matanume. He writes, has anyone actually tried running a music CD in a PS5? When was the last time you bought an album? I can confirm in the Xbox VCR, it runs an app called Groove Music and can pause the in-game music to play over while still keeping sound effects. I can tell you that since the PlayStation 4, so the PS4, the PS4 Pro, and the PS5 cannot play CDs. And that includes music CDs and any other CDs. So, for example, a PlayStation 1 disc will not read. And the reason is simply because Sony removed the CD laser from the DVD drive. So there is physically no way you can play CDs on that hardware. Damn Sony cutting features. Cutting costs, man. (laughs) Then had a $2.37 donation from Madanume, who writes, I'm so excited to find this out. I can now play Banjo-Kazooie to the music I strangely associate to it. 90s Seattle grunge. <laughs> I've wondered, is Banjo wooden Jesus? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to respond to that because I have no idea what, how, to, how to answer that question. I never listened to Seattle's 90s grudge music like Nirvana, so it, was, it wasn't really my cup of tea. We then had a dollar donation from Auric305, 
writes, inspired by Jackie G's album question last week, do either of you have a game soundtrack that helped shape or change your taste in music? For my then young self, it was Tony Hawk 1 and 2 and NHL 2004. Oh, I would say there's probably two for me that come to mind. Chrono Trigger is obviously one that is very, very well known. But lesser known is the Turrican series by Chris Hilsbeck. I'm a big fan of that that soundtrack. Uh, All three games have just amazing, amazing soundtracks. So those Mm -hmm. two would be my picks for me. Um, I mean, if I had to pick a game that's music shaped, like the music I would listen to on the day, I mean, I guess I would say maybe Life is Strange kind of introduced some unique folk music that I wouldn't have, even like kind of alternative pop music that I probably never would have listened to otherwise. So maybe Life is Strange. Then had a $5 donation from Zadia Quest. Who writes, this may be a bit on the technical side, but if I had to create a Switch 2 without sacrificing portability, what would be some things I could I could improve? I mean, we've we've talked about what we would <laughs> like to see in a newer Switch model um throughout the year, but just to recap, and Nate, I'm sure you'll have your own thoughts, but more RAM, <laughs> more performance more storage space, better network infrastructure. I mean, that's just a low-hanging fruit. Obviously, 4K mm-hmm. capabilities. I didn't note that I didn't say native 4K, but the ability to <laughs> render at 4K. Um, just things like that, you know, fix the Joy-Con drift issues. Just really just take a look and see what's holding the Switch back and and improve on those features. Yeah, I mean, the way mobile technology has advanced, all you'd really have to sacrifice is, I mean, depending on the size of the product, would really be higher-end features. Like if you want ray tracing in handheld mode, you would have to consider the impacts it would have on battery life. So you, So that would have to be a discussion based on the size of the battery you're going to have in the device, what type of screen you're going to have, and what type of energy draw that's going to have so a lot of it would really come down to what the battery would be that you have in the device would allow you to actually get in terms of features and performance because i mean mobile technology can do a lot of things phones tablets can produce amazing visuals but you also have to consider the size of the battery that's in these devices and how some of them will only get a couple of hours of pure gaming performance before the, either they overheat or the battery drains. So that would really, really just come down to battery, I would say. But otherwise, as MVG said, you could get, you know, 4K DLLS. You could do a lot and keep portability. Then I had a $3 donation from Jared Helder. Right. Recently, I was made aware of how much game development happens in China with Horizon Zero Dawn cited as an example with a lot of these with a lot of this hidden from the public do you know anything about this topic and the developers work conditions I do uh, not. I don't 
yeah, I I don't really know what else to say. I mean, there's a lot of lot of, I mean, look, these stories you don't really hear anything about until you read a Bloomberg article or something, you know, about yeah. really bad conditions at some studio or something. But mm-hmm. I've I've heard nothing on on this one. No, I mean, a lot of the studio, a lot of the Chinese studios are definitely like the external asset type of studios. A lot of developers utilize them to some capacity, but work conditions, no, have no information on that. And because it's China, it would probably prove difficult to get yep. reliable information and consistent information to form a really cohesive report. Then had a dollar donation from Foul Tarnished. Right. So what is holding back a Chrono Trigger switch port? What is going on behind the scenes between Square and the other interested parties? The only thing holding it back is Square. Square would be the thing holding back Chrono Trigger and just the parties involved. I mean, if they want to make it happen, I'm sure they can make it happen. Maybe they have plans with Chrono Trigger that in the future where they want to do something bigger with it or they just for some reason don't want to revisit it i mean they put it on the pc and that version was rough when it launched there's usually always a reason behind this companies like square aren't just sitting there saying man a lot of people want chrono trigger let's not give it to them there's usually a reason and they know better than us we then had a five dollar donation from derek clay who writes i'm thinking that breath of the wild 2 and metroid prime 4 will be pushed back to release as launch titles for the Switch 2. There's precedent for such a move, and it would give the system two highly anticipated titles right out of the gate. Thoughts? There's definitely precedent set with a Zelda title being a cross-generation release. We've seen it with Twilight Princess. We saw it with Breath of the Wild. Metroid Prime 4? I wouldn't be surprised if that did get pushed back to the next switch at this rate probably not as a launch title probably even later than launch but i mean breath of the wild 2 i definitely i would say it has that possibility as you mentioned there is a precedent there it just comes down to when nintendo opts to bring new switch hardware to market and if their plan is Late 2022 or early 2023, there's definitely a chance Breath of the Wild 2. It could be slated as that launch title or attractive launch window game. But right now, it's really hard to say if that is what's happening behind the scenes at Nintendo. Even with Breath of the Wild, they only decided to bring that to the Switch around 12 months before the hardware was actually confirmed internally for 2017 so even nintendo kind of makes these decisions fairly late in the game and that is the final streamlabs question for this week if you'd like to support the channel we have a streamlabs link in our description below ask a question donate any dollar amount and we will answer it at the end of the episode and i'd like to thank mvg for joining me as always always a pleasure nate have a uh, safe and happy New Year, and uh, I will see you and the listeners in 2022. Yes, and you as well. Have a safe and happy New Year, and everyone listening, have a safe and happy New Year celebration. We will see you in 2022. 
with some prediction episodes and lots of new content. And thank you for all the support you have shown us over the course of 2021. We appreciate it. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate.